Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 17. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for, um, boy, thank you for just being so good. Thank you for giving us your holy word that we, uh, you've preserved it down through the generations so that we can learn more about you. And boy, what a wonderful author you have been in, in through scripture, showing so much and just, a, it's like your trail that you, a thread that you wove all the way through it of, of who you are. Lord, um, I pray that as as uh, as I present your word today, that your word will go forth. Even more than your scripture word, Lord, let your Holy Spirit speak to each heart in here. Speak the words that we need to hear that we might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to uh, read something I got. So I'm on, um, I've mentioned uh, Bob Hauselman before. Um, He is, uh, there's an apostolic network that he is part of. Uh, He actually is in Indiana, Sellersburg, Indiana. And I get um, an email on Mondays from him. This actually came in last night. I happened to glance at it this morning. And it uh, starts out, a dear brother and friend of arm, Glenn Schaefer, who um, I've met a number of times. He's from Claremore, Oklahoma, and I've been in a number of meetings with him. I, you probably wouldn't remember me, but I, I remember him. So he shared this week that he believes that the Holy Spirit is stirring a spontaneous spirit of prayer that is not organized by men, but birthed by the Holy Spirit. The anointing could move us to a place where we pray about everything and are anxious about nothing, especially considering the present world situation. May we do what the Apostle Paul wrote, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And that's from uh, Glenn Schaefer. And um, uh, Bob Hauselman writes, except for Martin Luther King's, uh, an excerpt, not except, an excerpt from Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail in 1963. And this is the quotation. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. Perhaps I have once again been too optimistic. Is organized religion too inextricably bound to the status quo to save our nation and the world? Perhaps I must turn my faith to inner inner spiritual church, the church within the church, as the true ecclesia and the hope of the world. And he adds, quite prophetic. And this is, that was the end quote. As I read these words, I considered the influence that the church has been exerting on our nation and the world. I know that there are good people of God who are faithfully serving the church in many positive ways, ways. But I also remember the testimony of that early church who went everywhere sharing the gospel. Acts seventeen six through seven says, "But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too.' Jason has harbored them." 
And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. The activity of the early church was described as these who have turned the world upside down. The testimony of their influence in the earth tells us what is possible by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, they weren't really turning the world upside down. They were turning the upside down world right side up. This great restoration process has been going on for for 20 centuries and has reached every nation on the face of the earth. But as long as there are those who do not know and who who have not been told, there is still work to be done. The Great Commission still says to go into all the world and to preach the good news to every creature. I believe this will be done most effectively when we do several things. Number one, demonstrate the kingdom of God via signs, wonders, and miracles as we share the gospel of the kingdom. Number two, demonstrate the kingdom of God via meeting human needs with love and compassion of the Father. And number three, demonstrate the kingdom of God by the way we live our lives according to the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We pray the Lord will grant to all of us a fresh hunger for the things of God. Go demonstrate this week. We're going to be talking about Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi this morning. The Lord, our banner. The Lord, our rallying point. The, the, the Lord, our standard. Let me give you a little bit of background. It's not too much different than it was last week because we're just a couple of chapters ahead. Uh, if you don't remember, the children of Israel have just come out of Egypt gone through the Red Sea. They have grumbled once because they couldn't find water. And there was water coming out that was bitter. And Moses uh, threw the tree into the water and it became sweet. And they drank. The, uh, then they grumbled again. And the Lord uh, took care of them again. And as they, as they were going out, the, um, the Amalekites, uh, Amalek was a grandson of Esau. So uh, on the opposite side, and um, it, we don't know too much about the Amalekites. In fact, uh, the only no, excuse me, the only history we know of the of them comes from Scripture. We don't have anything historically about the Amalekites um, from what from what uh, I read. Uh, it's just Scripture, and so we know that he came from Amalek was a descendant of Esau, Edom, and uh, in Scripture we know that they are one of the uh, antagonists with Israel. It's one that God said, these guys are bad, don't have anything to do with them. In fact, I'm going to cut them off. But we'll get to that later. So they they come up, and it says in Deuteronomy 25 that they came, and they actually um, came from the backside and attacked the stragglers when they were weary in Israel. And then we pick up our story that it seems like what's happened is that after uh, Amalek came and and uh, attacked Israel from the rear, that Israel says, okay, you want to go at it? We're going to go for it. And what we see is this. Let me actually read the passage. It says, Amalek came and fought against Israel at uh, Rephidim. Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him. I'm sorry, this is verse 10. Joshua did as, as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. 
Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a testimonial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. The altar, he named the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my rallying point, is our, the standard. And he said, The Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. So I can, I can see you know, they're, they're rallying to go up against Amalek, to go and to fight the armies. And this is the first time Israel has gone out to fight. If you think about it, they didn't really have to fight Egypt. God just carried them out. God went out before them. God destroyed Egypt. All it was was the staff of God, right? And that's what it was called, the staff of the Lord that Moses had. You know, remember, they go up to the Red Sea. And uh, Moses says, Lord, what are you going to do? He said, what are you standing there for? What are you going to do? Go forward. Stretch out the staff and see what happens. So he stretches it out. The seed parts. And God was the one who routed Egypt. But now they're coming up against the first test. And so Moses has Joshua say, okay, you're going to go fight uh, Amalek. But I'm going to go up on top of the hill. And he went up with Aaron and Hur, both leaders. Of course, you know Aaron uh, is, is Moses' brother, ends up being the high priest. Uh, her is actually from the same tribe, and, and it's hers. Um, her's descendant. His, 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 I, bl- oh, I believe it's his uh, grandson, who um, is the one, Bezalel, or son, who actually is the one who um, heads up doing everything in the tabernacle. Okay, he's, he's the one that they said the spirit of God was on him in order to um, to do all the different creative things and all the jewels and all the weaving and all the stuff. Okay, so it's two leaders from the tribe that go up with Moses. And it, from the wording, it looks almost like the Moses did. So he, he held the staff of the Lord up. And we think about him going like this, but the wording is actually very, you know, it could go either way, but the wording is almost that he holds it, the staff with both hands, like so. And it says, when his hands got tired and they started to come down, then the then the Amalek won. But when his hands were, were raised up, then Joshua won. And his hands got heavy, which you can, you can imagine, right? You're up there all day, praying, interceding. There, he's on the hill between heaven and earth. Did, did you hear that? He's on the hill between heaven and earth in, in the posture of intercession. With his hands held up, and they started to get heavy. And it says that they, they rolled a stone so that he could sit. And one on one side, Aaron on one and, and her on the other, held his hands up so that he could, t- could intercede for Joshua and for the people of Israel. And Joshua routed Amalek. And it says that there was, basically they put Amalek under the ban so that Amalek would never uh, arise. There's supposed to be war between them um, forever. And uh, we end up seeing later that um, they did disappear. But I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. 
when you look at this passage, the, the focus is not on Joshua. Did you notice that? The focus of the passage is not Joshua. Now, you would think a great military victory. It'd be, well, and Joshua went out, and, and you'll see this in the book of Joshua, right? He went out, and he divided him into two places, and then when they came at him in one way, then, then he sent him this way and that, and then uh, the Lord said, go, and then they fought, and, and Joshua... That's not what you have here. The focus is on Moses. Because the victory was actually won on the mountain. The victory was won on the mountain. The victory physically might have been won by Joshua down in the valley, but actually the victory was won on the mountain. If Moses had dropped his hands, which happened a little bit, Amalek started to win, but the victory was won on the mountain as Moses interceded for the people. The Lord is my banner. How, how are we supposed to fight? This is about a battle. This is about us battling for the Lord as the Lord has us to go out. How is it that we are supposed to war in God's army? Because we are supposed to be God's army, right? That's what the banner is. It's, it's that standard that, you, you know, um, you see in the, the old, uh, the pictures of, you know, medieval times or, or earlier where they have a, a, the flag and you follow the flag into battle, right? You follow the drums that go out into battle. And that's what, it's the rallying point. It's the banner. It's the standard that goes out, the force. And that, it's the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my rallying point. We follow him out. And if it's his battle, how do we fight and how do we win? Number one, it's about it's about being um, fervent, about being consistent. I, I was struggling. I was struggling for the right word to use here, and I'm still not sure uh, the the exact right word. But it's about the long haul in prayer. I think about oftentimes, um, you know, we, we, we pray. And we, guys, I, um, you all know how to pray. That's one thing I've told you guys in the past. And I, I love it. We, we get together and when we pray. You guys know how to pray. You guys know how to knock on heaven's door. You guys know how to take the battle out. But let's also remember it's for the long haul. You know, I think about, um, uh, you know, we just had the Olympics this last summer. I think about Olympians. And what you see in their sport, whether it's gymnastics or whether it's running or track and field of some sort or, or archery or shooting or, or whatever it may be, that little bit that you see, maybe it lasts five seconds, maybe it's a round of golf that lasts four hours, but that little bit is just a small, tiny culmination of years and years and years and years worth of practice. It might be for 
for 30 seconds that they're up there, you know, doing a routine. But they've spent not just hours, but years worth of time in the gym or, or on the field where they are, they are running, they are training, they are doing everything they can to get their body in, ready for that 30 seconds worth of event. But oftentimes I think with our prayers, we just throw the 30 seconds in there and hope it's enough. Oh, there's the event. Boom. Okay, what's the next event? What we see with Moses is he came out and he, was, he had to be there for the long haul. What would have happened if Moses just said, I'm going to go pray for you on the mountain. He, he did one of these quick, Lord, bless them. All right, let's go. He was up there all day with his hands held high. He was up there for the long haul event until it was done. The, the, older, the older times, they call it praying it through. He prayed it through. Now, having said that, notice that he wasn't by himself. We all need those people who will come alongside of us and, and help us. Sometimes they're alongside of us praying. Sometimes they're just encouraging and, and lifting up our hands. When, when, when we get tired, they're, okay, look, you know what, I'm going to help you out. That's why it's not just one. That's why even Jesus sent him out two by two to go out so that we can, we can hold each other accountable and we can hold each other up when we're tired. But we all have to be, they were all three up there all day. And we have to do the same. I think about our current situation in the world and there's so many things that are going on right now. Whether you're talking about a virus that's still going on or you're talking about the division in the country or you're, you're thinking, wow, we just, we just armed the people who uh, flew planes into buildings 20 years ago. And there's so many situations that we really need to pray about. I'm going to ask, are we in it for the long haul? How much time are we spending actually on our knees? Or pacing the floor with our hands held high? Is it just for a 30-second prayer? And think that's good enough? Or are we praying it through? Are we praying until we see the results and it happens? I... I put in a little clip last Wednesday about the Moravians. I don't know. It, I, I'm not a, a real scholar on the Moravians, but I, I know that uh, Count von Zinzendorf, um, the, 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 the Moravians had come to his property and he kind of gave them sanctuary there. And he ended up being their head, if you will. And so he was serving them communion and the Holy Spirit fell one night. And they started praying. And the, 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 um, what they were praying was for for the gospel to go out into the world. They, they had a passion, a passion to see people get saved and to, to, to experience Jesus, to, to hear the gospel. And that prayer meeting lasted 24 hours a day around the clock for over 100 years. 
Now, you want to talk about praying it through. Over a hundred years, they said, we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep going. And the exploits of the Moravians that went out and preached the gospel, where they, they would go out and they took a ship out and they landed and they burned the ship. I'm not going back until they know. It was passion. A passion. And to me, passion equals time. It's not giving up. It's not giving up until you see it. It's not giving up until you see the results of the prayer. Are we passionate enough to pray until the results come? It's also, um, I mentioned interceding. You know, we, it was, it's about going for the long haul, but it's actually also about interceding. And what, what, I'm, what I'm meaning is the Lord will show us the battles to wage. And when, you, when he shows you the battle to wage, then you get into prayer and you, you, you fight through that battle until you see the results. Now, when, with Moses and Joshua, right? Moses is up on the mountain. And Joshua is uh, in the valley-ish, and he's, going, he's, he's actually fighting a battle. And the results, the, the, the victory was won on the mountain, right? But you saw the physical results with Joshua and the Malachites. So our spiritual victories have natural consequences. Our spiritual victories have natural outworkings that we see. And I tell you, it may be literal battles on the ground that we have victory over in the spirit first. There's a, there's a book I was, I was kind of rereading um, for, this, uh, for this message. If you haven't read it, um, it it's, it's worth the read. It's it's a little biography called Reese Howell's Intercessor. Um, anybody familiar with that? Trina? Uh, Reese Howell's Intercessor. He, he lived um, late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, right before, he, he died not too long after World War II. Uh, he started a, a little college, and part of that college is they prayed. He was, he was an intercessor, and th- this book is very challenging if you haven't read it. Um, but they prayed in the morning. They usually oftentimes had like a noontime or just afternoon prayers. Then they prayed, I believe it was like 7 until midnight-ish every night. And with, the Lord would show them during World War II uh, what they needed to pray for. And then they'd pray it through. And they'd pray for it until they found, uh, until they saw the evidence. This is just a little, a, a short quote from this. Is it, um, they, this is some of the things that they prayed for, that they actually saw somebody mention that in the newspaper. So some months later, with these four great prayer battles behind them, that is the invasion of Britain, uh, Alexandria, Moscow, and Stalingrad, 
The college were much um, interested to see an article published in the press by the military commentator General J.R.C. Fuller, in which he gave four reasons for the impending doom of the Nazis. Hitler's four blunders, he called them. Blunder number one was missing the chance to invade Britain. Blunder number two, his failure to attack Egypt and gain Alexandria. Blunder number three, everything in the, uh, everything in the Russian campaign depended on the fall of Moscow. Yet Hitler, Hitler turned away to other objectives. And blunder number four, Hitler's final mistake, the great attack on Stalingrad. And each one of those things, the Lord had given them. I remember for, uh, they, um, they had seen that they needed to have another front open because if, if Egypt, Egypt fell, um, uh, they, they needed another front. So they said, okay, they need, to, they need Nazis to attack Russia. And so they, they did. All of a sudden, they, they switched their advance and went up to Russia. And I, and I didn't realize until reading the book, they actually were knocking on the door of Moscow. They were right there, and they said, you know what, there's no reason. They could have walked into Moscow and had it. And there's no reason they shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, they, they left. And it had gotten went to be winter, and when they left is when they, the, all the troops got caught in the winter storms and died. But they, the, um, Reese Howells and his, his group of intercessors, they knew that they were marching on Moscow and they said, you know what, Moscow can't, the Lord had told them, Moscow can't fall. So they, they prayed and they prayed until they got the results, until they felt like, okay, the Lord's, the Lord's done it. And then they read in the newspaper, said, we have no idea why. Moscow was, was the Nazis to take. It was their open, open forum. And all of a sudden, they turned around and went someplace else. And it happened time and again. They even said they, with D-Day that they, that they prayed over that and prayed over that. And that several different things in D-Day went, that, the, that there were no subs, no U-boats there, that, that none of the planes that were normally there came through. And it gave them an, a, a much more open opportunity on D-Day. And the reason being... They prayed it through. What's the Lord giving to you to pray through? What's the Lord giving to us? Are there literal battles that we need to be praying about? That we can pray through and see the effects of our prayer. Now, it may take a while. It might be, you have to pray, you might, you might have to lift those hands up all day long. But what are we to pray through until we see and see the results in real time. Now, I've asked the question, why? You don't see this happen again with Moses, a leader going up on the mountain and praying, and then the, uh, you know, the Israelites fighting in a, a battle kind of in the valley. And I, I kind of ask, well, well, why is that? Well, did they learn their lesson? And part of it is, that, you know, this is their first battle. I believe is, is the thing. This is the first battle that they fought. And so um, God is red training them and getting them ready to fight more battles. That was part of the whole thing of going through the wilderness. They're supposed to be trained for battle. Remember, they, God didn't want them facing any battles when they first came out of Egypt because they, he thought they might get, get afraid and want to go back. He said, no, they've they, they got to get ready first. So this is the first one. So this is number one training. By the way, God's going to train you. Okay, and sometimes it may not be fun, all right? And he trains you by putting you into battle. 
Some of you have been there. If you're not, if you haven't been there, then you're going to be there, because God's good and He wants you to learn how to fight. And when I mean learn how to fight, He wants you to learn how to pray. He wants you to learn how to pray through. He He wants you to learn how to do damage to the to the enemy, to the king, to to the darkness. He wants He wants us to go out and and do all the damage to the to um, the demonic realm that, that we can. And so He's going to toss you in there so that you can learn how to fight. And if you don't fight, sometimes you're going to sink. <laughs> it's like sink or swim. Okay, go fight. Fight or be killed. But you know when he does that, he's going to be there watching. He'll be there with Moses. It's really um, the last couple of verses. It says, write this out for Joshua so that Joshua knows. It's a remembrance. But you know, I think more than that, I believe that the Lord was showing more out of this passage. And I'm wondering if when Joshua looked up onto the hill, up onto the bald mountain, if what he saw is someone stretching his arms out with one person on one side and one person on the other. And it looked kind of like this. You see, the passage right before here is when Moses struck the rock. The people grumbled and they asked, is God really among us? And God said, take the staff. Paul says the rock is Christ. Right? First Corinthians. Take the staff. I'm going to go and I'm going to stand before you at the rock. I'm going to stand in front of the rock. Then what I want you to do, let me kind of do it this way. I'm going to stand before, in front of the rock. And I want you to take that staff and I want you to strike the rock. And out of that rock poured water. And you have a picture of the judgment of God. A picture, like I said, Paul said that rock was Jesus. Where Jesus is struck and water flows out. And then you have a picture, I believe, I believe you have a picture, another picture of the cross where you have Moses up on the mountain. You have the prophet like Moses on the cross. A person on each side overseeing. Jesus, our great intercessor, the one who brought the victory. Now, I could see that that could be maybe you're like, oh, maybe you're stretching that just a little bit. In uh, Colossians 2, Colossians 2 says this. Let me start in verse 13. It says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt 
consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Actually, through the cross is another, it's just a pronoun there. Having triumphed over him through the cross. See, the cross is the ultimate triumph over darkness. The cross is the ultimate triumph over darkness. Jesus, being on the cross, disarmed the powers of hell so that the victory was won on the mountain. I told you Amalek, um, I, I tell you a little bit, Amalek was a thorn in Israel's side all the way up through Saul. Remember Saul um, uh, was the one who was supposed to have killed the leader of Amalek. God said, go in and wipe everybody out. And he went in and, and took the best of the sheep and, and, and uh, Agag, he said, no, I'm going to keep Agag, you know, and, we'll, and Samuel came along and said, Saul, why'd you disobey? He said, well, I, I kept the sheep so that we could sacrifice them. And, and here's Agag. And, and Samuel said, uh-uh. To obey is better than to sacrifice. And Samuel himself killed Agag because God had put um, Amalek under the ban. And then you see David take it up. And David fought the Amalekites and you don't hear from him again. The son of David David's greatest son is the one to bring ultimate victory. Ultimate victory. And he did it on the hill. The victory is won on the mountain. It's won on the mountain. Jesus did it all. He won it for us. But that doesn't mean that you get out of the fight. We still have to fight. We still have to intercede. I read that little bit this morning the, from Bob Houseman. I said, wow, people are being called to prayer again. People are being called to prayer again. The Holy Spirit, and I, I felt it in my heart this week that the Lord's saying, okay, come, it's time to pray. It's time, to, it's time to make a change through prayer. It's time to move some mountains aside. And I want to ask each one of you, you individually and corporately, are you willing to pray it through? Are you willing to be the one on the mountain holding up their hands for days? Are you willing to spend the time to pray it through? So that the th- so the victory ultimately Jesus won it, but the victory happens as we intercede, and we're between heaven and earth, so that we see what happens in the valley after we win the victory on the hill. Let's do it together. Let's pray, Lord. You are our banner. You are our rallying point. Lord, I'm going to be bold this morning and I'm going to ask you to show us the battle that we're supposed to fight. Lord, we don't want to just flail around and fight anything and everything that we can fight just because we've got a sword in our hands. Lord, 
show us the battle that you want us to take on. However big, however small, it's all right. Because if you are showing it to us, you've already given us the victory, even if we have to spend the time fighting. And you're our banner. You're the one leading us out. Lord, show us where that banner is so that we might fall in line and run after. Lord, show us the battle to jump in. And Lord, I'm asking for each person here that you will help us. Lord, some of us I know in here, your, their hands are tired. They feel like they've been lifting their hands up for years already. Lord, I'm asking that you'll bring people around them to help hold those hands up. Give them encouragement. Lord, if, we, if they need to, let them, let them sit in a chair so that they, so that they can continue on in the fight and they have, have, have their hands lifted high interceding for people. Lord, there's some in here who just need to, they need to lift their hands for the very first time and say, I'm going to join the fight. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage them to jump in, to jump in the battle. Lord, there are those two that just, they've been there before and they need to, um, they need to get there again. They need to be encouraged to, to re-engage, to let the cares of the world go so that they can re-engage where God has called them. They, and they, they know that's their call. They know exactly what they're supposed to be doing, but they need to re-engage. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage them. Just, Lord, love on them and encourage them that they, they can get back in the fight. It doesn't matter where they've been, that you still want them on the front lines fighting those fights for your kingdom. Lord, in all of that, I pray that you will use us mightily. Thank you that it is Jesus on the hill with his hands outstretched that has ultimately bought us our victory. Lord, we'll go. Show us your banner that we may follow. In the name of the Lord, I, I bless each person here. Lord, I bless them with faith. The faith to go forth. The faith to fight. The faith to, to, um, to just get up and do it one more time. And to believe that our prayers will be answered. Lord, I seal them with the Holy Spirit, with the, with the, the seal of of the of the um, the apostolic seal of the Lord Jesus Christ for their protection as they go forth for their provision for their strength for their enablement that that you will go go in front of us and be our rear guard lord that that um that we will walk in and the enemies will will look at us and they won't see us they will see Jesus clad in shining armor from head to toe 
and that they will fear us rather than us fear them. Lord, I bless each one here with the, the blessings of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That we will walk fully in those blessings. That our, our families, our households will be blessed and not cursed. We'll be protected on every side. And we will walk with you. We thank you for it, Lord. Lord, we look forward to the victories that we see in the natural. We look forward to them. Use us mightily, please. In Jesus' name. Amen.